Good to have you all here this morning, and those of you who are visiting with us, I extend to you a special word of greeting in the hour that follows worship. We have a class designed for visitors. I'll be teaching that class this morning, and we'll be teaching on uh, baptism. So if you would uh, be interested in joining us at that time, uh, we would uh, be glad to more than welcome you into that class and uh, give us the opportunity to get to know you in a less formal setting and perhaps provide you with an opportunity to know a little bit more about who we are, what we believe, and, and why. This morning, let me ask you to open your Bibles to First Peter, the first uh, letter of Peter. Um, Peter is writing, as he tells us in chapter 1, verse 1, to the elect exiles who are dispersed, he says, throughout all of those northern central Roman provinces that would be located in the modern land of Turkey. He writes to a community that is probably predominantly Gentile, but certainly uh, has a strong uh, Jewish uh, population. And he writes to them, he calls them the elect, and he says in verse 2, elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, in the sanctification of God the Spirit, for obedience to Jesus Christ, God the Son, and for sprinkling with his blood, may grace and peace be multiplied to you. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Verse 13, therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ as Obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. Chapter 2, verse 1, so put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. Like newborn infants long for the pure spiritual milk that by it you may grow up into salvation, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. As you come to him a living stone, rejected by men, but in the sight of God chosen and precious, you yourselves like living stones are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. 
Verse 9, for you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Beloved, I urge you, as sojourners and exiles, to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. Let's look to the Lord in prayer. Father, as we turn our attention to your holy word, we pray that by your Holy Spirit, you would illuminate our minds and our hearts that we might be challenged, that we might be stirred up, that we might be encouraged, that we might remember who we are, whose we are, and why we're here. And I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Last fall, I gladly accepted the privilege of speaking on behalf of my fellow trustees at Covenant College's convocation service. Having accepted the invitation, I was then informed that I had three minutes. Three minutes. So in three minutes, I attempted to challenge and encourage the students to remember who they are, whose they are, and why they are here. That's what I want to do this morning with a little bit more than three minutes. I want to do that based upon what the Apostle Peter has written, especially in chapter 2 and verses 9 through 12. Almost 50 years ago when I participated in an athletic event at Covenant College, I would on occasion hear the students chant, we are the Scots. I took pride in being a Covenant College Scot. And that chant, it motivated me. It motivated me to try to give whatever I could give to help my team gain the, help my team, help my school gain the, the glory of victory. The prophet Isaiah, in Isaiah 45, verse 5, he challenges and encourages me. He challenges and encourages you to remember you are the Lord's. You are the Lord's. You are the Lord's. You do not belong to yourself. He has purchased you for himself. You are his. You are the Lord's. 
What's that mean? Look here. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9. This is who you are. What a list. Peter writes, and if you don't recognize it, let me simply remind you, using the language of the Old Testament, the language used in Exodus chapter 19, the language used in Isaiah 42, 43, 44, he says to you, you are a chosen people. You are a royal priesthood. This is who you are. I'm not talking about somebody else. You're here this morning and you profess faith in Jesus Christ as your Savior, Lord, and King. Peter is talking about you. You are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. You are his own possession. Look at verse 10. Peter says, remember, there was a time when you weren't his people, but now you are. Peter says, remember, there was a time when you were not a recipient of his saving mercy, but now you are. Oh, the deep, deep love of Jesus shown to you, shown to me. We are his. We are the Lord's. We are his people. He has poured out upon us his mercy. This is what he did to to change our status. Look back at chapter 1, verse 3. What a startling statement this is. But Peter writes just simply sets out the language. Peter says, you are his because the Lord, chapter 1, verse 3, the Lord caused you to be born again. He caused you to be born anew. How did he do that? Look at verse 12 of chapter 1. Look at verse 12 of chapter 1. He did that by God the Holy Spirit giving you ears to hear and hearts to believe the good news concerning Jesus. You're not his. You don't belong to him because you're so much better than everyone else. You're not his. You don't belong to him because you're so much smarter than everyone else. You're not his. You don't belong to him because you're more spiritual than everyone else. You're his because the Holy Spirit has given you the ears to hear the good news concerning Jesus. Hold on to 1 Peter chapter 2, but look at Isaiah 42. Turn to Isaiah 42. You knew we weren't going to get out of here without turning to Isaiah. Look at Isaiah 42. Look at verse 18. Isaiah 42, verse 18. Hear the word of the Lord. Hear the Lord. Hear God, the Holy Spirit, when he says to you, hear you deaf. Look, you blind. He was talking to you. Because you were deaf, you were blind, and the only one who could unstop your ears, the only one who could open your eyes was the Holy Spirit of God. And he says to you, now hear you deaf. Look, you blind. What does he want you to hear? What does he want you to see? Look at chapter 43, verse 1. This is what he's done for you. 
He said, I want you to see this. I want you to hear this. I want you to understand this. I want you to believe this. I want these truths to turn your life right side up. Chapter 43, verse 1, I am your creator. I am the one who formed you. You don't need to fear me. I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. (coughs) The creator of heaven and earth has called you by name. I have all kinds of trouble remembering. I can't even remember my grandchildren's names. I can't remember my, you know, it's, you know, it's just Heather, Gretchen, Ruth. You know, take your pick. It's you I'm talking to. You know, just choose whatever one of those three names happen to be yours. Okay? He's called you by name. He has called you by name. And he says, you are mine. And then in chapter, in verses, <coughs> excuse me. In verses 2 and 3 of Isaiah 43, (coughs) and I wish I could take the time to expand on this, but I can't. So let me just say this very quickly. Verses 2 and 3, the Lord speaks of delivering his people from slavery in Egypt, bringing them through those waters that threaten them with destruction. He talks about how he will deliver them out of Babylon, deliver them from the Babylon whose fires destroyed Jerusalem and the temple. He said, I'm going to deliver you. I'm going to bring you out. I'm going to bring you out of the slavery of Egypt. I'm going to bring you out from exile in Babylon. And you say to me, well, that was written 750 years before the time of Christ even. I mean, what in the world does that have to do with us? It has everything to do with us. Look at what Peter writes. Look at 1 Peter chapter 2. Look at in the middle of verse 9. The end of verse 9. What does Peter say? Peter says, the Lord has done what? He has delivered you. He will deliver his people out of Egypt. He will deliver his people out of Babylon. And he has delivered you. He has delivered you out of darkness. And brought you into his marvelous light. And of course... The Apostle Paul will likewise write in Colossians 1, verses 13 and 14. Paul will write, he has delivered you from the dominion of darkness and he has transferred you to the kingdom of his beloved son. He has done that and there in him you have redemption, you have the forgiveness of sins. Back in Isaiah 43, verses 9 and 10. The Lord says to his people, I'm going to provide for you a way through the wilderness. And as you make your way through that wilderness, as you make your way through that wilderness, headed for the promised land that I have promised you, I will provide for you living water to drink, to strengthen and to sustain you. And then he says to them in verse 20 of Isaiah 43, you are my chosen people. And he says to them in verse 25, I am he who blots out your transgressions for my own sake. 
I am he who blots out your transgressions for my own sake, who will not remember your sins. You remember your sins? How many did you remember this morning? How many did you remember yesterday afternoon? How many have you remembered this week? Those times when either ignorantly or foolishly or sometimes even deliberately, you've betrayed your Lord. You've gone your own way and you've done your own thing. The Lord says, turn to me. Confess, repent, I'll forgive. I'll blot out your transgressions. I'll blot them out so thoroughly that I won't even remember your sins. I don't know, I don't know for you, but for me, that is incredibly comforting because I got a list a mile long. And the Lord says, I'll blot them out. I won't remember. Now, how's he going to do that? I mean, how is a holy God who tells us that without the shedding of blood, there can be no forgiveness of sins, who tells us that the wages of sin is death, how can he justly, he is a just God, how can a just God blot out your transgressions, choose to remember your sins no more? Look at 1 Peter 1.18. Peter tells you. He says that Jesus, God the Son, Jesus, the one you remember who boldly proclaimed, I am the way. Jesus is the one who ransoms you, who pays the necessary price to free you from slavery, sin, from slavery to sin's power and curse. And the price he pays isn't with perishable things such as silver and gold. The price he pays to ransom you is the shedding of his own precious blood because he is the lamb without blemish or spot, having no sin of his own, being without blemish or spot. Jesus takes your sin upon himself and he dies to pay the penalty for your transgressions. He pays for you the wages you have merited by your sin. In your place, he dies. He sheds his precious blood to ransom you, to provide the way through the wilderness, to give you living water to drink so you'll never thirst again, to set you free from the dominion of sin and to bring you into his kingdom. Why? Because according to his own good pleasure, according to his own purposes, he has gifted you with faith so that you might believe that he died to pay the penalty for your sin, then rose again that you might live. But let's go on quickly. Look at 1 Peter 2, 9. Being his chosen, you are part of his royal priesthood. Again, you have to go back to the Old Testament. You are a priest of God. What does that mean? Well, in the Old Testament, it was only priests, only priests who on behalf of themselves and their people could enter the holy place to stand before the Lord. And of course, to take that one step further, many of you know that 
only once a year, once a year, only the high priest, only the highest of the priest could enter the holy of holies to pour out the blood of a substitutionary sacrifice upon the Ark of the Covenant to atone once more for the accumulated sins of the people. And we're told that again and again. That's shown us again and again throughout the Old Testament Scriptures. And then the Scriptures turn around and tell us that sin cannot be atoned for by the shedding of the blood of an animal. What's going on here? Those Old Testament sacrifices, according to God's purposes, temporarily atone for sin because and only because they anticipated the sacrifice offered up by Jesus, who is your high priest, once and for all time, entered the heavenly holy of holies, poured out his blood to atone once and for all time for your sins. Now you are a priest of God, a priest of the king, a royal priesthood, And as a priest, that means that you, you can come boldly into the presence of God to offer up yourself as a living sacrifice, to offer up your prayers for yourself, for your fellow believers, and for those yet in rebellion against the King. Furthermore, Peter says that you're a holy nation. Holy, holy, holy. You're a holy nation. What's that mean? To be holy means to be set apart. To call you a holy nation is to say that you are a people set apart by the Lord unto Himself. And because you are set apart unto the Lord, it means you are set apart from the ways and the thinking of this world. Two sides to this coin. You're a holy people. God has set you apart for Himself, which means that you are also to be set apart from the ways and the thinking of this world. It's really, Scripture is always so challenging. Peter says in 1 Peter 1, 2, he says the Holy Spirit has sanctified you, which is the same as saying the Holy Spirit has already declared you to be holy. And yet then Peter turns around and calls upon you to be holy. You are holy. Once and for all time, God has set you apart for himself. But the life you live... In reference to the life you live, the Lord says to you, you are my holy one, now live like who you are. You got that? You are sanctified. You are holy. You are mine. You are spotless. You are without blemish. You are without sin. I've blotted out your transgressions. I will not remember your sins anymore. You are holy. You are set apart to me. Now, as you live your life, be what you are. Be what you are. Live a holy life. And do 
And strive to do so knowing that the Holy Spirit is at work within you to enable, to equip, and to empower you to live a holy life, a life which emulates your holy Lord in all that you do and think and say, I am the Lord's. May my words, may my thoughts, may my actions, may they bear witness to the fact that I am the Lord's. You belong to his holy nation, to his royal priesthood, to his chosen people. You are, Peter says in verse 9, his possession. You are an adopted child of the king. You are a part of his forever family. And then in verses 4 through 8, Peter tells you, if you go back up to verses 4 through 8, if you look back at verses 4 through 8, you're going to see there that Peter tells you that along with your fellow believers, you are living stones who are being built together to form the Lord's temple with Jesus as the chief cornerstone. Now, that's, that's a little bit hard to get a handle on. You are living stones who, with fellow believers, are being built together into the holy temple, the holy temple of the Lord, with Jesus as the chief cornerstone. Well, what does that mean? Where, have to, where do we have to go? We have to go back to the Old Testament. You ever heard that before? We have to go back to the Old Testament. In the Old Testament, the temple spoke of God being present in the midst of his people. And because he was present in the midst of his people, he was present in the midst of this world. And building upon that Old Testament illustration, Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 6.16, we are the temple of the living God, which means what? This is what Paul writes. We are the temple of the living God, the God who says to us, I will make my dwelling among you. I will walk among you. I will be your God. You shall be my people. You are the temple of God. You are the temple of God. You represent His presence in this world. You are His presence in this world. Just as that temple in Jerusalem symbolized God present among His people, now you are the temple of the Lord, and you are His presence in the midst of this world. So I want you to understand one more time. As a part of this holy nation, this eternal kingdom, this royal family, this, this holy temple, You are this world's only hope. I don't know who you think you are this morning, but let me tell you who the Lord says you are. You are this world's only hope. For you are God's chosen one. 
through whom he makes himself known to a world that at best ignores him and at worst despises him. It's who you are. This is whose you are. This is why he has so blessed you. Look at the middle of verse, verse 9, chapter 2, verse 9. To you he has given the privilege and the responsibility to do what? To proclaim his excellencies. I don't know what you think you're going to do this coming week. I, I don't know how your list of what your to-do list might look like for this coming week. I don't know what all of your various responsibilities may be in this coming week. But let me tell you the bottom line. If you are his, if by grace through faith you have embraced him as Savior and Lord, then this is the top of your list today, tomorrow, this week, this month, this year. As long as the Lord gives you breath, it is to proclaim his excellencies, your life And your conversation is to show and testify to others the greatness of your just and merciful God by his enabling power. Your life, like the temple of old, your life is to blaze with his glory, with the wonder of who he is and what he has done, is doing, and he will do. That's who you are. That's who you are. This is the task that is yours. At the head of your to-do list, the first priority, to blaze with his glory. When people look at you, you should appear to them to be glorious whether they understand or not. Look at what Peter writes. Look at verse 11. Peter says, you live in this world as the Israelites once lived in Egypt, as they then lived in Babylon. You live in this world. And of course, this gets to be really sobering. You live in this world as sojourners and exiles. I mean, how... How disconcerting is that? You feel like a sojourner? You feel like an exile? Peter says you live here as journeys and exiles. Now, most of you are fully aware that you live in the midst of an increasingly hostile culture. But I think we always need to take a step back and to remember that our present culture is no more hostile than was Egypt or Babylon or the Greco-Roman culture of Peter's day. So yes, we live in the midst of an increasingly hostile culture. There's nothing new under the sun, folks. Nothing new under the sun. So how, therefore, should you live as an exile, as a sojourner, who is his chosen, his priest, his holy one, his possession, Peter says in verse 11, abstain from the passions of the flesh. And I can't think of anything that more pointedly describes the waywardness of the culture of which we are now a part. 
And Peter says, abstain from the passion of the flesh. We live in this world, but we are not to think or behave as those who are controlled by the passions of their flesh, those who ignore God and insist that right and wrong, good and evil, are determined by whatever the majority of the people or whatever the majority of the judges decide is right or wrong, is good or evil. We are to live according to the eternal and unchanging truths of God clearly set forth in His Word. Peter tells us at the end of verse 11 that the thinking and behavior of the world controlled by the passions of the flesh, it wars against us. We are in a battle. You are soldiers of the cross. It's not a battle fought with the weapons of this world. We do battle clothed in the armor of God, armed with the truth of God, knowing that even at times, even if at times it, 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 we seem to be losing, the inevitable victory is ours because Jesus will win the battle. Therefore, Peter writes in verse 12, keep your conduct among the Gentiles, that is, unbelievers, honorable. Live and speak in an honorable way. Live and speak in a way that honors your king. Every word you speak, everything you do, May it honor your king. Do so, Peter says, so that even if they speak against you, think about where we are today. Even if they speak against you, even if they call you evil, even if they accuse you of being narrow-minded and bigoted, may they see your good deeds. And may they glorify God on the day of visitation. That day of visitation, that's a tricky term. It refers either to the day when God mercifully enlightens the eyes of those who are now blind, or perhaps more possibly, it speaks of that final day when everyone will glorify God, either willingly or unwillingly, as every tongue confesses and every knee bows to Jesus as King of kings and Lord of lords. It's who you are. This is who you are. This is why you are here. So let me end in this fashion. When God's people lived in exile and sojourners in Babylon, Jeremiah wrote them instructions on how to live. Jeremiah 29, verses 5 through 7. When God's people lived as exiles in Babylon, Jeremiah wrote to them and said, this is how you shall live. Build houses, live in them. Plant gardens, eat their produce. Take wives, have sons and daughters, or sons and sons and daughters and daughters. 
take wives for your sons, give your daughters in marriage that they may bear sons and daughters, multiply there, do not decrease, seek the welfare of the city where I have set you into it, where I have sent you into exile. Seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf for its welfare, for in its welfare you will find your welfare. Isn't that astonishing? Live your life. Live your life from day to day. And pray for the world in which God has set you. And I especially plead with you to pray that God not treat us as we deserve. In 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 1 through 4, Paul wrote to Timothy as he and his people lived as exiles and sojourners in the midst of the Greco-Roman culture. And he said to them, I urge, this is what I urge of you, I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for all people, for kings and all who are in high position, that we may live a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. This is good, and it is pleasing in the sight of God, our Savior, who desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. How do they come to the knowledge of the truth? By you remembering who you are, whose you are, and why you are here. His chosen, his priest, his holy one, his own possession, exiles and sojourners living in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation to whom you are declared the excellencies of your Savior, Lord and King, by your life and by your words. And this is what the Lord says to you. He says to you in Isaiah 43, 5, don't be afraid. I'm with you. Don't be afraid. I'm with you. You are the Lord's. Live for his glory and for the temporal and eternal welfare of others. And be not afraid. Remember, he will win the battle. Let's pray. Father, thank you, thank you for the wonder of your word, impress it upon our minds and our hearts. May we remember who we are, whose we are, and why we are here. May we blaze with your glory by our words and by our deeds. May we proclaim your excellencies to a watching world. And these things we pray 
in the name of Jesus, our Lord, our Savior, our King. And all God's people said, amen.